This episode of the Last King Podcast is... Wait, wait. Tom, who is this? I don't know. Who the fuck are you? Hey, I'm Hits. Welcome to the Last King Podcast. And, uh, hello. <laughs> We're still down one, but plus one. Yeah. We have a very special guest here today on the Last King Podcast. Hi, everybody. I am, of course, uh, Shafiq. I am Eccentric Tom, and we have... I'm Hitzer. Most of my friends call me Hits. It's easier to pronounce. Hits with a Z. Hits with a Z. There you go. Yeah. What is it? Thank you very much for kowtowing to British imperialism. So we have a... British imperialism? (laughs) So we have here a special guest, which means it's the mid-year roundup special episode where we talk about all the things that... We we like so far. We like so far. 2018 has been gone pretty fast. Yeah. It's going far too quickly. Yeah. And like right now, we're still in the height of World Cup fever. Yep. So uh, predictions, boys. Because I think as of this recording... Argentina got knocked the fuck out. France is out too, right? No, no France, France is through. They, they France knocked them out. out. Who yeah. no? oh, Portugal's out by Uruguay. Uruguay, man. Mm-hmm. I did not expect that at all. So Yeah, they had a lackluster start. Yeah, so the running joke is Ronaldo and Messi will be meeting each other at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that meme too. <laughs> Adorable. Hey, bro. What terminal are you, huh? Shut up. <laughs> do, do you guys actually follow the themes or are you just watching casually? Well, I'm invested in not one but two countries. Uh, so, uh, Belgium? And England. Ah. Yeah. So I have two people to disappoint me this time around. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm not a fan of football per se, but I okay. do enjoy a good uh, World Cup once in a while. But I'm if I had to World choose Cup. one... Yeah. So family obligation would be Holland for me. Right. And then because they're awesome is Brazil, I guess. But Brazil's not doing so well nowadays. No, the South American teams are really bad this year. Yeah. And yeah. The Nona's really stood out. Like Uruguay had a very good opening team. Brazil finally found their pace, but still have been touch and go. And Colombia, I don't know. They locked out against Senegal. It's mm. not the same without that cocaine money, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> I support England because of British imperialism. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Because we're from Singapore. Because yeah. we're from Singapore. It's all this colonial architecture ingrained into our... <laughs> well, I can't very well support Japan, can I? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> Asian pride, sir. They're doing kind of well. Are sure, they? No, sure. wait. South Korea did better, right? South Korea did better, No, yeah. they got knocked out. South Korea's out? Yeah, yeah but they, no. did, they did okay. Yeah, and yeah, they knocked Germany out. And yeah. you know that's why Mexico now love them. <laughs> <laughs> in the wrong way possible. Have you seen the memes where they pull oh in their eyes? Oh my god! Yeah. Like, that, that is so wrong. They that got a thing. <laughs> they got the ambassador to uh, Mexico. They pulled him out of the embassy and forced him to do tequila shots as they wow. raised him in the air. That's amazing. They were so happy. I enjoyed it so much. Mexicans love their football, dude. Especially and the tequila. Since, yeah. <laughs> especially since the state is an in this time round. They're like, yes, we're the only North American team to worry about this time round. Holy shit. Yeah. The Mexican elections are this weekend, by the way. So oh, yeah. I'm amazed that they have nothing better to do. Well, I mean, maybe it's a distraction tactic by whoever's the favorite. That's true. That is true. That is true. So, anyway, you've been hearing the voice there of uh, Hids. That's uh, me. We so keep saying the name to make sure everyone knows. Yes, you know. Yeah. So, if you're all wondering what happened to our other previous uh, co host, he still locked up the airlock. He still locked up the but airlock. But he left off a special package uh, early yes. this morning. <laughs> so, a, a nice, cute little tiny package. Yeah, with <laughs> nice big kawaii eyes. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, so uh, Hids, maybe you should tell our fans here at The Last King a little bit about yourself and uh, where we can find you. 
Um, sure. Uh, as you already know, my name is Hits, and I'm a co-host uh, at two different podcasts. Another podcast. Another podcast. There's a two r- other podcasts you need to worry about right now. Huh? Uh, right. Well, not. Well, maybe only one. <laughs> only uh-huh. one. Only one. You because, coming up, sir? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a co-host on a podcast called Genre Equality. That's an amazing name. Why we, didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> we basically talk about the geekier stuff of pop culture, stuff from like uh, horror to fantasy or sci-fi and superheroes. So it's very genre-centric. Hence like the name Genre Equality. Like the Last King. Yeah, yeah. But, but you guys talk about more than just genre. Well, we do. We do talk about literally everything, pretty we, much. So that's all the genres. Yeah. We, we were just talking about the World Cup. That's true. Yeah. And uh, I wind up about sh- Brexit, Brexit not once but twice already. Yeah. So. Are we going to do more Brexit talk? No. No, not no, now. No, not now. Uh, the one you don't need to worry about is the Hard Hits Wrestling Podcast. You have a wrestling podcast. I have here. a wrestling podcast uh, alongside my friend Hardy, uh, hence Hard Hits. Uh, we this <laughs> he's the hard in hard. He's the hard in hard hits. I'm just the hits. Uh, we do it weekly every Friday. It drops on Mixcloud, uh, Mixcloud backslash hard hits, and Mixcloud backslash genre equality. Follow us there. The All small ep- caps. Uh, n- caps not needed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the new episode of Hard Hits and genre equality just dropped over the last couple of days. So please check it out if you're into wrestling or geeky stuff, or huh? you could just listen to the Last King. We pretty much or you the could same just yeah. listen to the last game. Yeah. Thanks. Like, fuck those plugs. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only thing worth listening to. Uh, I also do some journalism for um, Vice and Bandwagon for music stuff. And I do some movie and TV reviews for a website called Potwire. So that's pretty much my plugs. So you oh. hear that millennials? He works for Vice. He's on your side. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get that Vice attention. I'm 32 <laughs> years old, by the way. <laughs> You're still a millennial. St- yeah, technically. Like Anyone born after 1918 before 95 is a millennial. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, a millennial yeah. is anyone born after 1985. Which I disagree so with. Because the thing is, for me, a true millennial has to be born during the next millennium. Uh, Fair enough. Okay. You have to be born in 2000s, then you're a millennial because you're born in 2000s. Because I still, I hate the fact that I'm now being categorized into that weird, oh, you're between Generation X and millennial. And I was like, what is that? Generation Y? That exists too. And I'm not Generation Y. Not at all. Yeah. And then like, even worse, there's a new sub-sub-genre where I'm supposed to fit in called gener- Generation Y2K. What does that mean? That means that I was alive during the Y2K crisis. So was I. Yeah. Exactly. But the thing is, I was working and physically like uh, you uh. Know, part of society. Uh. Right. So you want those people worried about the impending deaths. Yeah. The thing is, I worked at the internet cafe. So it was <gasps> a real big worry for me, Y2K. Oh, yeah. And you know what the amazing thing is? Nothing happened to the computers. Yeah. It was all a lie. There were internet cafes back then? Yes. This was 99? I know. I was, I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was making fun of how old you are. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. We Thank used, you for joining in. <laughs> we used only the fastest pterodactyl internet. <laughs> pterodactyl internet. What kind of Flintstones <laughs> internet are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have all the... Ter- <laughs> Well, anyway. Notice you have to turn with a crankshaft to get it going. A crankshaft? Yeah. Where, where are you from? <laughs> what? The 1910s, apparently. <laughs> That's how they do it in Belgium, don't you know? Hey. <laughs> yes, every, every, <laughs> their cars are all like, wa- cheese waffles, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, boys and girls. That's so the part. This is a, uh, as per tradition here on The Last King, whenever we have a guest on, it's uh, the time where we talk about all our favorite shows because nothing is coming out. Nothing important. Nothing we still important. refuse to watch Tag. Or Hotel Transylvania 3, which is a thing right now. Right? Yeah. Isn't or it Hotel, Hotel Artemis? Artemis? And Hotel Artemis. You know what? I would pity the poor parent who bought the wrong ticket. Yeah. Brought their child to see Hotel <gasps> Artemis. I would be amazed. It's like, oh, I can't wait for this Adam Sandler goodness. Oh, God. Anyway, um, we shall uh, give it to our guest here to introduce to us. So this episode, we'll be talking about our favorite TV shows of 2018. So this far. So far. Because, you know, okay, as of this recording, Glow just dropped. Uh-huh. 
So it's like, you know, hard press for me, but I really want to put that as my choice, but I think it'll be unfair to my co-host here. We yeah. haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, the thing is, it's, yeah, I was watching other stuff. And it's still kind of fresh. And um, I don't know. I mean, maybe general consensus. What do you guys think about the current output when it comes to TV, Netflix, streaming? It's overwhelming. Yeah. Extremely, right? Yeah. And the thing is, right, uh, it's not overwhelming in a good sense where everything is amazing. It's like you really need to slog through the scum just to get to yeah. the good ones, right? Well, there are there is a lot of good stuff as well, but there's more bad stuff than there is good. Just it's because just, anybody can put stuff out. Yeah. It's not even just good stuff. It's just that there's a lot of mediocre. Sure, yeah. Like, uh, what was that one with Daniel Brühl, The Alienist? Mm, that was not interesting at all. Yeah, it looked amazing because, you know, it's Daniel Brühl, it's uh, Dakota Fanning, it's, you know, all these... The Luke. lesser fanning now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's been upsetted by her younger sister. That must hurt. She's in a few things. Yeah. 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 And what's his face? Luke Evans. You know what? Speaking of like, you know, watering things down. Yeah. How I Met Your Mother is all available on Netflix now. Well, oh, fuck off. Mm. <laughs> I just saw that Lost is available on Netflix now. It's been really? It's been available for a while. I, did, I didn't realize that. I've been wanting to rewatch the show actually. Really? Yeah. You know what? It kind of aged nicely. It did. You know, a, lot of people a, lot of a lot of people kind of fell off during the third and fourth seasons, but those were my favorites. You think so? When it got really weird and really When it got really weird, when they had the time travel and the alternate I dimensions totally and stuff like that. I totally agree with you yeah. because the thing is about Lost is, right, if you didn't join, if you're not with the journey, sure. you're not going to enjoy it at all. I agree. I agree. Because I think a lot of people were thinking it's like a modern Gilligan's Island at first, but no, it's actually just a parable for, what was it, Purgatory and like... Well, yeah. a lot of people misunderstand the ending. They weren't in purgatory the whole time. But yes, I, I don't, I don't some of the time. <laughs> I, some some of the time. Just pretty much the final season. But I don't want to get into a lost review right now because it's gonna be a lot longer than this podcast is. You know what? Tell okay. We'll invite you back when we do the JJ Abrams episode. Oh gosh. Where we talk about Lost Alias and all the shitty Mission Impossible movies. Do we have to though? No. Thank you. I think he has enough money and attention. Exactly. Yeah. But you know what? One thing for J.J. Abrams, thank you for rebooting Star Trek properly. Yes. And then fuck you for doing the worst. <laughs> <laughs> the worst remake of Rafa Khan. Uh, yeah, but also, but that's still my favorite Star Trek movie, Into Darkness. Oh. Yeah, of the, of the new wait, ones. Wait, wait, not Wrath of Khan? Into Darkness is your favorite movie? Of the new ones. Oh, of the new ones. Of the original okay. is Wrath of Khan, then okay. probably Search for Spock. Then I mean, like, the, the rule is only the even ones are nice. So yeah. two, four, and six? Six was kind of dopey though. <laughs> Which was the one with the whales? Four. Four, yeah. I, yeah. I, have, I have a soft spot for the four, uh, fourth one. Yeah. Same too. That was like maybe my second Star Wars movie in the cinema. Hey, Star Wars, Star Trek. You're nerd cats uh, right now on I the table. I can say it. I like them both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I never understood the tribalism between Star Trek and Star Wars fans. Because nerds need to have something to fight about. They're essentially very, very different shows. Are it's you dungeons or are you dragons, sir? Exactly. <laughs> it's apples and oranges. One is a show about anthropology. The other is a space opera. Actually, they both can be space operas. Actually, it's better when one, both try to be space operas. Really? Okay, I say, like, I, I, I was drawn to Star Trek because of its anthropological aspects. You know, the discovering of new societies. But are you TNG or are you next gen? I am... A, I mean, are you TNG or original series? Sorry. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was a little confused. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a TNG guy just because of my age. Uh, that's because Picard. Because Picard. Because Data. Yeah, I, I'm more of a Deep Space Nine guy than a TNG guy. Oh. Really? Yeah. Ooh, Deep Cuts. Uh, and I didn't actually watch the original series and I'm ashamed to say this until last year. Because it's all available on Netflix. This is all available on Netflix, exactly. How goofy does it look to you? It doesn't honestly? age well. I have, to, I have to admit, it doesn't age well. <laughs> I don't think it aged well at the time. <laughs> yes, you're right about that. There's a, literally an episode where an alien is a puppy with like 
<laughs> like horn stapled onto it, right? Right, yeah. Oh, the 60s. Oh. But there were a couple of gems in there that I really enjoyed. Uh, Look, episodes that stood out. Yeah. Anytime Kirk punches anything, even mm. a woman, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was the 60s. It was the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had to knock them out because, yeah, sure. Why not, right? Thank you for not finishing that sentence. <laughs> yes, I know. You, would you want me to finish that sentence? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're fine, we're fine. We can move on, we can move on. Yeah, so moving on from so, uh, TV two old men talking about uh, TV shows from the 80s. Yeah. So, Hits, what's your favorite series right now? <laughs> right now? In 2018 currently? Okay, uh, I'm, let me begin by delivering an honorable mention. Of course. Okay. Uh, the first show I'm going to be talking about is a HBO series, a new one called Barry. These people I take out, they're bad people. Money's good. It's a job. Yeah, so um, Barry stars Bill Hader in one of his rare dramatic performances. Yeah. It's funny because it was definitely uh, marketed as a new comedy. Sure. But, and while they're funny moments and suddenly funny characters, they go to some dark places, especially near the end. Uh, what I really loved about this was that it often it alternated between hilarious and harrowing. Yeah. And for how funny it can be, it goes to a dark places that shows like even like Breaking Bad don't go yeah it is emotion- but, Breaking, but Breaking Bad put a kid in acid sure how dark does this go well spoilers uh, you know, are, are, we, are we keeping it spoiler free spoiler free please yeah. well the thing about Barry is that it doesn't glamorize what he does absolutely not it, un- it, disrom- it unromanticizes it uh, in the sense that like okay he's a hitman and in most movies or TV shows that's supposed to be cool but once the weight of what he's done catches up with him you really really feel it uh, especially because he is this sociopath that you meet in the beginning yeah. he is an a Iraq war veteran with PTSD or no, was Afghan it Afghanistan war- I'm sorry yeah like that's like the true hardcore shit yes exactly yeah so when you first meet him he is disassoci- disassociative uh, sociopathic doesn't have any emotions but once he gets into acting uh, and he follows one of his uh, targets into an acting class by accident uh, right? by accident yeah. uh, he falls in love with the craft of acting which is kind of the hook of the show yeah. Uh, but as he becomes more and more serious about his passion, uh, and the thing about acting is, it's all about empathy, right? Or uh, being in the moment. Yeah, or so being in the moment. Yeah, exactly. he learns to feel again because I feel like it's never explicitly said, but there's heavy undertones that he has hardcore PTSD. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And the way he dealt with it originally was to become a hitman because he became so dissociated, like being used to kill people. He said, "Well, might as well continue doing what because I became good at." The desensitization is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but once he starts to feel again, once he starts to make friends... Uh, then he starts to be a thespian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a thespian, a thespian. <laughs> one of my favourite things about the show is how one side of the show informs the other because it's half a crime drama and it's half a comedy about the LA Hollywood Hollywood uh, theatre scene. Uh, and Okay, so the comedy aspects of it, right, is... All the improv classes. All the improv classes. It's, it's, it's meant to be wacky and funny yeah. and stuff, but it also informs the other aspects of his job. Because say, for example, when he murders someone and he has to do uh, the Macbeth scene, the out damn oh, scene. Oh, God, that was tough to watch. So he has to consider murder from the perspective of a non-sociopath, which makes him consider the consequences of the things he's doing. And how that affects him and Bill uh, Hader's performance in that is mesmerizing. Mm. Especially because... A weird trope that I... S- not not say trope, but a thing that they do is that they often show him um, daydreaming about potential futures or potential past or like even stuff which he thinks is happening at the same time. Yeah. And it's very realistic. You think, has there been a weird like flash forward? You think, oh, no, he's just been daydreaming. And uh, 
he he daydreams in a way which a lot of like very desperate lonely people do like the way he was daydreaming for oh i remember having these kind of daydreams when i was very lonely and confused when i was a teenager exactly it's, it's an incredibly rela- relatable show yeah i think what helps is that because bill Hader was a producer like he had a heavy hand in the creation of the Who's show the short order for this actually um I forgot. It was one of his SNL guys as well. But uh, really? Bill, Bill Hader actually showruns it alongside him. He's okay. a co- co-creator. He wrote a couple of episodes. He directed the finale, if I'm not wrong. I mean, out of all the SNL cast members, he's the one who was supposed to hit it big first, I think. Like, before even... I don't know. Like he Of like, all the SNL co- cast members, you know... I mean, like, for me, like, Tina Fey knocked it out of the park sure. very quickly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then Jimmy Fallon locked out by getting his Tonight right. Show. Oh, so okay, you mean that generation. Yeah, so, like, yeah. because the thing is, right... Even like a lot of people look at him and all they can see is Stefan. Right, yes, yeah. You know, and then like but then like if you see him at the James Franco Rose when he did like the mayor of Hollywood, mm-hmm. like his ability to just disappear into a character. And that's when I kinda noticed that this guy has a lot of potential if only he was given the perfect opportunity. I was reading interviews with him specifically about Barry. Um he came to Hollywood to be a playwright, a screenwriter and a director. And SNL was just this thing that distracted him for like ten years. Wow! Uh, so he's finally <laughs> wow, he, really? He's, yeah, he's finally able to use all the cash that he has from his SNL gigs to kind of make his dream projects, his passion projects, and Barry is one of them. In terms of making it big, I'm not sure Barry is big. It's this tiny little show on HBO that is frequently overshadowed by you know HBO's other things like Westworld and Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones yeah. So it doesn't receive the attention that it should, but. It's a really amazing little show that you should watch. And it's only eight episodes, half an hour each. A uh, very little time investment. And it's... Uh, it's very binge-worthy. It's very binge-worthy. And there's some amazing supporting cast. Like, um, what's the name of um, Fuchs, that character? Uh, Stephen Root? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'm a fan, yeah. 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 And, uh, oh, <laughs> the guy who plays the bald Chechenian. He's my favorite. Uh, Noho Hank. Yeah, uh, I, I, no forgot, Hank. I, I forgot the actor. Yeah. Yeah, but he's so wonderful. <laughs> he is uh, a frequent delight on the show. Yeah. Uh, you would you would expect the comedy to come mostly from the theater scene, but once you meet the Chechen gangsters, those are the funniest guys on the show. Yeah, because like you know the gangster boss, he's like he's this big scary fat dude, a la Tony Soprano, but think heavy Russian Chechen accent. Mm-hmm. But then like there's a scene where he's interrogating them, and then the wife comes in shouting at him because there's a sleepover for his daughter, and he's like, keep your voice down. So there's a little bit of absurdity amidst all the heavy-handedness? Or? It's definitely upset at times, but yeah. when it gets real, it gets super real. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, as a frame of reference, is this something similar to something like In Bruges? Or when it's like, you know, you have professional hmm. killers just, you know, waxing lyrical every once in a while? I don't know. Um, I haven't actually seen a hitman drama quite like this before. It's a very unique take on the specific genre. And one of the best entries into what I would call like this modern age, this golden age of like half-hour dramedies that we have right now. Yeah. You know, with things like Atlanta and Baskets and uh, shows of that ilk. Yeah. Uh, the way that it transitions from humor to harrowing, it's more reminiscent of Bojack Horseman actually. Oh. In terms of like its depiction of Hollywood plus getting real. Actually, yeah, yeah I, 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 agree. I agree with that. Yeah. I miss Bojack Horseman so much. Right it's now. coming back in August, guys. Yeah. It's taking its time. Is huh? it August or September? August. Yeah, it's soon. In a couple yeah. of months. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to have season five. five. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, Rick and Morty, right? Which is... Rick and Morty should be next year. It's so. Next year, right? Yeah. yeah. All 700 episodes at Jesus once. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 700. That's insane. So yeah. that's your uh, honorable mention. That's my honorable mention. So uh, what is your pick for 2018's best TV show so far, sir? Okay, so... 
disclaimer because we live in Singapore, we don't get things on time. Uh, or are, at all. Or at all, sometimes. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of movies that uh, will be talked about later on that were actually released in 2017, but we only got them in 2018. Yes, uh, for our next episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Long much, much later on. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of Babylon Berlin, uh, this, this is the show I'm going to be talking about. It's, it's a German, lavish German drama called Babylon Berlin. Babylon Berlin, yes. Uh, the sequel to Babylon 5, I'm thinking. <laughs> Close, but not really. <laughs> not really? Yeah. Less uh, aliens in this one. No aliens at all, unless you count Nazis as aliens. Well, there are certain There's scenes certainly in the, the world <laughs> yep. which were a bit yeah, spacey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, back to my point earlier. Um, Babylon Berlin was actually released in October 2017 in For Germany. season two, right? Uh, season one was released in October 2017. But we're talking about season two, which is yeah, just out. Which is just out. Uh, Netflix only picked it up in around February or March this year. So, I'm going to count this among our 2018 crop. Is okay. it in our Netflix? In Singapore Netflix? No, right? It didn't make it. Uh, I used a VPN. Yeah, it's alright. Yeah. We'll cut that. Don't worry. Oh. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. We we get what we need. We <laughs> get what we need however we can. Yes, we do. Uh why I love Babylon Babylon Berlin is just how How German it is. <laughs> okay, I went through this phase earlier this year where I was just watching a ton of German shows like Dark and Deutschland eighty three. And Babylon Berlin was part of that crop when I was just in this German. Are phase. they all in the same genre? In uh, no, Dark is a time travel sci-fi thing. Okay. Uh, Deutschland '83 is an espionage spy thing during. Dark uh, made it to local Netflix, right? Dark is on local Netflix. Yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, Babylon, Babylon Berlin is not. Deutschland '83 is on local Netflix as well. If you want to catch that. Huh. So the one show that didn't make it to local Netflix is the one you picked. Yes. Good luck to the Last King fans who are trying to find this show, I guess. We'll find no, a way. Not all of your fans are in Singapore though, right? Nope, not True. all of my friends. No, not at all. Very few of our fans are in Singapore, exactly. unfortunately. There you go. So you probably can watch Babylon Berlin right you know now. What? Fuck my fans in Singapore. Exactly. <laughs> Fuck all 15 of you. Actually, no, it's about a few thousand of you. I'm sorry. I'm, okay. really, I'm really sorry. Please, don't, don't unsubscribe. Listen to us. We yeah. love you guys. Talk about humble brag. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So anyways, uh, Babylon Berlin is set in the late 20s slash early 30s in Germany. It's uh, during a period called the Weimar Republic. Mm. So for the layman, it's before World War One. No, it's after no, World War One. and just before World War II. It's so just it's w- before Hitler's rise to power. So it's World War 1.5. <laughs> it's World War 1.5, pretty much. Because we do kind of talk about the a bit of the communist panic that goes on, right? Pretty much, yeah. But yeah. what's interesting about Babylon Berlin is it's set in an era in Germany during a period of social decadence and social democracy. Which I enjoyed. Yes. Um, so it's kind of also a parable of how fragile a democracy like that can be mm. despite how many civil liberties are on offer uh, and how easy it is for the far right like the Nazis to take over. Yes. But the best aspect of the show for myself because I'm a huge uh, film noir slash detective movie junkie is uh, it's detective storylines. It's a, it's a cool murder mystery it's a. It's got a bit of the procedurals in it as well. Slightly, yeah, yeah. yeah but it, it's a heavily serialized show, though. But the thing is, it's also a bit scant for me because, like, I watched this show on behest of uh, this episode. Sure. And the thing is, I kind of went through season one enjoying it, and mm-hmm. then season two, I have not quite finished. Right. 
Because I mean it's a good epi- eight episodes per season and yeah. each one clocks in at roughly under the one hour forty five minutes. I mean forty five minutes to one hour mark. Yeah, so it's a sixteen hour investment for the whole thing. So yeah, it's a bit of a climb. <laughs> yes, it is an incredibly dense show just because of its sprawling narratives. Uh there's so many things going on at the same time. I mentioned the detective aspect of it because our lead character is a detective from Cologne. Mr. Roth. Mr. Roth. Uh he's investigating uh, a German pawn ring, an Armenian mobster, uh and also he's doing shady links for his uh, politician family back up his politician father back home yep uh, but at the same time you also have an espionage drama uh, you have uh, Russian agitators communist agitators coming in from Russia led by Mr. Kardakov himself led by Mr. Kardakov you have a mysterious train filled, of, filled with poison gas and gold uh, it's the same train, right? Because it's the same train. It confused huh. me for all because I remember there was this one scene where they just switched the train car numbers. Correct. So is, uh, it, is it a different train or is it the same train? You haven't finished, but it it comes together really neatly in the finale in terms of, of the, season two of season two. Okay. Uh, in terms of the train, because everybody's going after the trains, the communists, the Nazis, it's the Sarkonian gold, right? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's the it's the MacGuffin that draws all the disparate elements of the show together. Yeah. Uh, so I love the political aspect of it as well. Uh, I but. Speaking as the guy who covers music and Berlin nightlife as well, yeah. uh, we also go deep underground into the Berlin nightlife scene back in the 20s, which isn't that different from the Berlin, Berlin nightlife scene now. Oh. The only difference is this, the music being played. But uh, Back then it was the Roaring Twenties It was the Roaring Twenties A lot of so big band stuff Now it's just really hard techno just, yeah. Now it's just really hard techno <laughs> But but the way they get down is similar So uh, all the assless leather chaps and No, uh, very little assless leather chaps in this there one There is like this underground BDSM dungeon subplot yeah. going on also okay. Yeah. Uh, but mostly it's There are these dazzling musical sequences That is like this injection of adrenaline into the show Whenever you kind of get the splash of colour needed for all the drudgery. Yeah, yeah whenever you kind of get bogged down by by the dense narratives. Because uh, I think in episode 2 uh, was the first moment that you see this big, gigantic musical sequence in the Babylon Berlin nightclub. Yes. With uh, the lead character Charlotte. Uh, Lotte, yeah. Lotte. And it's just this 15 minutes uh, dance sequence slash singing sequence. I mean, it felt very Moulin rouge where it's yeah. in your face a bit. But I mean, I'm not saying in a good or a bad way. Sure. But sometimes, like to me, I'm not saying it's jarring. Yeah. But I think it's also what you say. It's like that uh, necessary injection of adrenaline that yeah. you need to kind of like motivate. Not so much the odd. I mean, not so much the characters, but the audience. Yeah, uh, it, it's a sugar rush And I kind of need that sometimes Especially in a show like this Because th- you're bogged down by all these characters being introduced And all these plot lines and plot threads appearing Your head is spinning a bit Because there are at any given moment Seven or eight different concurrent plot threads happening And then somebody just walks in And who are you again? <laughs> yes, uh, so it's, it's a little difficult to keep track of Upon first viewing uh, But what I will say that it is really addictive And if you want to kind of just sit back And enjoy the show You don't necessarily need to pay attention too closely because mm. when a plot threat that is important that is happening, they will remind you what it is, who is saying it, what this concerns. So there's a fair bit of small exposition just before something major happens. Yeah, I guess. So it will always remind you. I mean, like, I'm not saying it's like dumbed down, but I think it's the necessary scaffolding needed to keep the audience maybe abreast I know, yeah. of what's going on. A- at certain points, I do feel that it's spinning too many plates as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think it did that admirably, and I've seen other shows crumble upon that weight. Uh, yeah, and Babylon yeah. Berlin never did. As much as I, I, mean, I would agree with that analogy that it's spinning plates, right? But it didn't drop any. It didn't drop any, exactly. That's the thing is, like, when, when you see something like maybe. Uh, I don't know um, any other Netflix show sure. where they're trying so hard to be like Game of Thrones yeah. and then they just forget about plot lines or like yeah. is, isn't this character motivated elsewhere and then right. you think to yourself like 
Okay, there's a bit of laziness there. Whereas when I see something like Babylon Berlin, I mean, the one thing I want to say about Babylon Berlin, first and foremost, right, it's gorgeous. It's it's a very pretty show. It's apparently the most expensive German production ever. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's all that Nazi gold. Look, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Only Switzerland has a Nazi gold. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this show is vehemently anti-Nazi, by the way. Very. I yeah. think it's requirement by any German uh, sensible. Like, uh, you better be a good, strong anti-Nazi message in here somewhere. Sure, yeah. yeah but it, it, it doesn't shy away from how the Nazis got into power and why they came into power in terms of uh, the the social unrest going on. And but I think that's also unfair to the show because like that is more of the backdrop or the what the setting whereas like the it's main a, yeah it's, it's a flourish yeah it's like yeah. The, the main character motivations aren't really that tied into the history I mean like the history happens around them and then sure. we see how they navigate their lives and their like you know the, 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 the missions they have exactly yeah and like I mean, I mean for me what I really like about the show especially is like not so much the, the procedurals or not so much about you know I mean besides the, the visual palette that it chooses mm -hmm. but because it's like it takes its time in a way that is very, I would hate to say it, but German. Yeah. <laughs> but it's extremely efficient in its storytelling. Like, so very German. And so very yeah. German. But also, that could also be the pro and con because most of the time, it's like, because you can tell that they trim the fat and then they leave spaces for other things. Sure. And it also, then it becomes that whole information overwhelming overload that like, okay, so who is this guy again? Mm -hmm. Why is this guy important? Because like, when it, uh, I don't know if it's a spoiler. Should it be? Can we spoil a bit? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I would maybe spoil. Okay, like uh, like the death of Yannick, for example. Sure. Where it's meant to be something that's like you know, in an emotional linchpin for season two. But because you weren't as emotionally invested in him due to yeah, plot mechanics. He kind of no, because the thing is, he was introduced in a very I wouldn't say in a in a sprawling way, but I was like basically Lottie meets him discovers that he has this unique talent for being able to uh, read lips mm -hmm. and then just convinces uh, Rath like hey he should be working for us and like okay you're a cop now and he's like cool <laughs> I don't think it was that easy though because I know I mean yeah. he, he had to work for it he had to work for it exactly and then, but yeah. the thing is right when when he gets killed off and it, like they designed it in a way that it's like oh this is supposed to be something that makes you gasp sure and makes you feel like oh no what's gonna and then like a lot of the evidence and a lot of the the forward movement of this investigation is in his hands. Yep. And then like when that happens, it's like, all right, so it's just another, you know... Obstacle. Another screwdriver in the cogs. Right, so right, it's right. Like, so, I mean, that's the thing about Babylon Berlin. And I also have to say, like, I mean, if you're not accustomed to reading a lot... Mm -hmm. Oh, subtitles, huh? Because yeah. it's like... <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing, right? And it's the, a dialogue-heavy show, I have to it's say. It's a very dialogue-heavy yeah. show. And then I explained this uh, to the eccentric Tom earlier before we recorded that one of my struggles was when they started speaking a little too fast and they spoke over each other. Right. And then the subtitles come in and you don't know who's saying what. Don't you have like the little brackets into the character names who's speaking which line? I don't have those subtitles. Oh. I have I have the other subtitles where it's just a sentence. Oh gosh. Uh, so it's like... I can see why, why you get confused. So yeah. like, yeah, there's a lot of moments. Like The thing is, I enjoyed the show, the show so much and enough for me to like rewind and like, okay, I need to catch up. I need to know what's going on. So gotcha. Yeah. I will say this about German at least is that whilst it's a it's not a very efficient language. Like, it takes a lot of words to say one single thing. How do you say butterfly again? Schmitterling. Schmitterling. Butterfly. How do you say... Okay, that's a fair more syllable. How do you say pineapple? Sinas apple, I think. No, that's orange. I remember pineapple is like some ridiculous word and the whole world just says nanas. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, welcome... Welcome to Germany? Yeah. Yeah, um... 
Babylon Berlin, I know I I can see its faults, but it was yeah. just so such a whirlwind for me at the time when I was binging yeah, yeah, yeah. it that I I just couldn't help but get swept up in the excitement and th- and enthusiasm for a show that I accidentally discovered. Okay. It's, it's like one of these, uh, you know, like uh, you kind of prize these hidden gems that you accidentally find more than stuff that's hyped agree, up to agree, you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and th- that's where Babylon Berlin is in my heart, lah. So if I were to do an objective best of list, Babylon Berlin probably wouldn't be my number one. But this is my favorite show of the year so far. Okay, I agree. Yeah, because that's basically this. Ep- uh, this episode is all about maybe you know Favorites. besides the honorable mentions, but yeah. it's like the one show you really want to talk about. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. And also objectively, it's very hard to rank things, so you just have to be true about what you really enjoyed. That's true. Yeah. So it's super heavily recommended from you, Mr. Hibbs? It's super heavily recommended if you are okay with subtitles. I have a lot of friends who just don't watch foreign films. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, so, and even, yeah, I mean, if if you enjoy detective stories, if you enjoy uh, period pieces, if you enjoy, like, lavish musicals, yeah. you definitely get into Babylon Berlin for sure. I would say sure. that, especially about this, as a period piece, it works so well. It's gorgeous, right? Yeah. yeah. It's so immersive into a world that feels alien but familiar at the same time. I don't know. It's I a fascinating to... period of history which I feel like not many people talk about and trying to, you know, not name drop too many things, but I feel like in this particular political climate of today uh, it's kind of relevant I would say I would say so as well yeah um, you, you're right in the sense that this is a period of Germany that nearly n- not many narrative fiction stories have portrayed well if they have it tends to be just like you think of oh we're just trying to set up so we can never talk about you know what the, everybody knows the short Austrian elephant in the corner yeah ex- exactly so it's mostly stories about World War 2 the lead up to World War 2 yeah. or World War 1 or the PSD, PTSD after World War 1 but there is this good 10 year gap in between where Germany was a totally different place and if you want to watch a detective show in there hey this is, this is your perfect gateway into that into that period. What was that British show again you recommended that was a procedural oh within yeah, World War II? Oh uh, yeah, Foil's War. I've not seen that one. It's, uh, I'm not sure if it's still on. It's one of those things that was on for f- fucking ever on British TV and it was a fairly standard police procedural where you had, you know, the main guy, Foil, but it's set during World War II. Right. So he's doing stuff like, oh, investigating this murder, this scandal, but I can't go at night because there are German bombs dropping. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there was even one episode where they're clearing away the debris after bombs are fell and they found someone, a dead person, but he was killed before the bombs had dropped. Oh. So they discovered someone that tried to use the bombs to cover up the crime. Right. Uh, but it's very hard to find evidence because, you know, shit's broken. Who's starring as well? Oh, God. I, I last watched this 15 years ago, so I can't give you a name. I but see. But look it up. It's... It's uh, ITV, so it's kind of like got the same budget as Murder, She Wrote. But, uh, the it's, one with uh, it, Ellen Davis. It's a quite <laughs> interesting premise, and uh, there's some fun moments. Like, I remember one episode that they have a German gunning uh, run. Like, they're just investigating something at the Royal Air Force, and suddenly this German plane just come and bomb the shit out of them. It's like, <laughs> whoa, okay. Speaking of... You got extra money this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, we're running out of ideas for the plot. They just blow everything up. There we go. The Germans. The Germans solved everything. Yeah. But, you know, you could do that because it's organic to the backdrop. Exactly. Yeah. I guess so, so it doesn't feel like, so like, oh, this came out of nowhere. No, kind of makes sense for this time. Which is what I would also credit Babylon Berlin for. for like It's organic to the backdrop. Sure, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't beat you over the head with the political details. It does. I mean, like, Hitler was only mentioned once, right, in season one. Pretty much, yeah. It yeah. Then, I mean, we we talked a lot about Nazis in this particular podcast. But, but they don't pop up that much at they've all. They've never even uttered the word Nazi. Yeah. Well, in 29, most people didn't know who they were. They yeah. were like, like, because uh, to give a bit of context, 
eight years ago, Hitler was in prison for trying to start a um, putsch in Berlin. A sorry, putsch? in Munich. Putsch. It's a German word for um, coup. Oh, I thought it was like a really manly lesbian. Yeah, Behel. <laughs> Behel Putsch. He tried to like storm the uh, townhouse in Munich and most of his people were killed and he was stuck in prison. That's where he wrote Mein Kampf. Okay. So it kind of like, oh, that weirdo who was in jail. We don't have to care about him. Again, Babylon Berlin, nothing yeah. to do with Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> he just mentioned once. <laughs> I mean, there, there is a similar storyline that happens towards the end of season two, which I don't know whether you've caught up with yet, but uh, it is a story about a military coup that's going to happen uh, that's that stopped. Uh, Hitler isn't actually involved in it. No, yeah, I, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. I actually studied this at school. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's from England. Mm hmm. That's oh. all they do. Yeah, okay. we only talk about World War One, World War Two because it's, it's all just talking shit about yeah, the Germans. When we were the plucky <laughs> Brits standing up against them, don't worry about all that colonial shit. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> did, did you ever learn about Singapore, by the way? When no. you were in? No. You're, Are we not that important? No. Yeah, I guess we're not. Yeah. No, I discovered where yeah. Singapore was when I came here for exchange five years ago. Oh wow. Yeah. For exchange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how how delightfully posh is that, right? I know. So you guys don't learn about the the colonies and stuff no it's kind of except for India because that's where all the spice money is even then uh, even India we tend to not talk about it because it's a bit of a sensitive topic because of what you did also (laughs) when we have a conservative government in power they don't want to talk about like that old stuff yeah okay yeah so thank you very much Hits uh, two very interesting uh, recommendations so uh, we're going to be taking a quick break right now to, you know, gather our thoughts and we'll talk about my picks for move, for TV and then also Shafiq. But first, we are going to open up this package from uh, Mr. Toffee and a see... A special report for our man out there on yeah. the street. Like he still stuck out the airlock, but he was able to slip this in. Okay, let's see what this is. I figured for this special segment featuring Mr. Toffee, aka myself, I'm going to talk about the anime games I played recently. So let's talk with the shittiest one that I played so far. So... I'm sure many of you might know that I'm a huge fan of Little Witch Academia and anything that Studio Trigger does. From Kill la Kill, to Gurren Lagann, to now this one, Little Witch Academia, showing now on Netflix if you want to check it out. All 26 episodes and even the Enchanted Parade and the, mo- and the 30 minute movie, all awesome stuff. So naturally when I heard that there was a game coming out for this particular series, I was, you know, pretty happy about it. This, I was actually excited. And the story's pretty cool too, like, this is this happens like in the middle of the TV series where the inept but enthusiastic Akko, the bookish Latte, and the mushroom-loving lanky weirdo Susi are hyped for the summer holidays, the summer vacation happening at Luna Nova Academy. Thanks to Akko's nosiness, however, she accidentally activates a magical time device and has to relive the day before the vacation starts. Essentially, it's Groundhog Day meets anime Harry Potter with an all-girl cast. And it's up to Akko and her pals to solve the case. The stories and cutscene in this game, called Little Witch Academia The Chamber of Time, yeah, it kind of fits with the show really, really well. Like, recre- it recreates the animation, it recreates the look, it actually fleshes out more of the characters. I mean, the characters enough, like from Akko to Latte and everyone else, and even Amanda and Costanz and everyone else, the other witches, they're all fleshed out really well here, you know? Like, again, this game actually shows off the show's strength, where every character is very colourful. And this whole unique time-looping situation calls for different scenarios and different bits of dialogue that lives up to each character's personality and whatnot. Unfortunately, this is where the good news ends, because this game is a piece of shit, yo! Both gameplay modes, where you play adventure mode in the castle and in the school, and when you beat up enemies in the chamber of time, they're all executed horribly. Sounds like good ideas on paper, but 
it's just done really, really bad. I mean, who the fuck you ate this game, honestly? The adventure and exploration bits are slow and really, really plodding. For one, the map is just unnecessarily convoluted. Why not just keep it menu-based You select where you gotta go instead of walking from one point of the other to the other end? Like, there are so many instances where Akko has to go to one bit, look for an item and realizes, oh, the item's not there, I just gotta guess I gotta go all the way out of the way to the other room and get the item, so fuck that, fuck you. I mean, there are just way too many instances of that, and I've actually poured in a shitload of hours in this game hoping to find like a shred of good things to say about it, and I've wasted so much time on this. You'll encounter a lot of bits where you gotta talk to two and three separate fucking characters to go to a far off place for your original location. Bottom line, these quests, these fetch quests, they're not really thought out thoroughly and not really organic in your approach. You also gotta farm for random drops as well before you actually go to proceed on with the story and just to get expensive items and that's a fucking time waster. It's not clever design, it's just padding. So much goddamn padding. Now, if the beat-em-up portion of this game, yes, it's a beat-em-up, is good, then probably I can just forgive this shit. But no, the beat-em-up aspects of this is terrible. Like, imagine, okay, imagine Dragon Crown, if it went through a shredder, a blender, or a woodchuck, it went through Fargo style of execution or corpse dismemberment, you get Little Witch Academia Chamber of Time. It's half-assed, the RPG elements are okay, Okay, I mean, the characters itself, they're kind of cool. Like, you've got Aku, Latte, Susi, all these characters. They all got different abilities and different ways of fighting, and their stats are varied, you know? Because Aku, she's shit at magic, so obviously her intelligence is really low. That's a little nice touch, so she fights with her fist and everything. Like, Constance, because she's more of a mechanic than a witch, she actually fires a gun. She's actually one of the better ranged characters. And Diana Cavendish, she's actually the top ace witch of the school, so she obviously has the best spells repertoire around but she can't take damage that much they're all unique in their own way so that's points i guess but everything else the game they're on it's just horrible enemies are just generally easy to kill for one and then when you want to line up your attacks the hitbox is just so tiny you gotta actually line up your enemies in the most precise manner you look at castle crashes you look at games like streets of fury you look at scott pilgrim versus the universe they handle your hitboxes really well. Like, you don't actually have to be very precise to attack them. Dragon's Crown did a better job. And that's a game made in fucking 2013. You mean to tell me that these developers did not even do their research and made a game without considering depth perception and all this? It's just bad. Hit collision detection is also pretty unrefined. And the worst part is your AI... Because when you actually start a stage, you actually get accompanied with two other AI characters usually the other witches, and the AI just runs into pitfalls and don't know what they're doing. They will beat up enemies for you, sure, but they'll use probably the least optimum effect. You know, they'll just use up their mana. They'll just heal whenever you're at slightly higher health and stuff. They just don't think, and you can't even customize the AI that much. Your teammates will actually go headfirst into danger, so that's a huge chance where you'll fight a boss and your two other teammates are too too goddamn stupid, they'll just die on the spot, running through the same pitfall and trap and the same attack over and over. So in other words, when I mentioned about the hitbox and the depth perception, you'll be fighting enemies not because you're skillful, you're fighting enemies and beating them because you know how to line your shots and line your attacks and you know when to move and avoid. So it becomes a huge test of endurance and that's not challenging, that's just fucking boring. 
And this is really terrible because the anime this was better than this. Such a lovely anime, very colorful, like very saturating kind of show. Showcases the witches and everything. And this game does not do the whole show justice. It's terrible. Like, this is going to be the long line of other games that, you know, they're based off properties in name, but quality-wise, they're dubious. So you're better off just watching Ako and Ko doing their witchy work on Netflix. Because paying, like, money for this, I believe, is $69.90 digital. Yeah, through this pile of licensed travesty, it's... Dude, that's just burning your money away like a witch and a steak. Fans of the series is a much, much better, and I'm giving this a 4 out of 10, or giving it a 3 out of 10. So, little witch academia? More like little bitch academia, <laughs> am I right? Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Toffee. Uh, we really enjoyed that. Our thoughts and prayers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> He's not dead. Oh, wait. Oh, hey. Anyway, so uh, we're back uh, to our uh, regularly scheduled program where we're talking about the best TV shows of 2018 so far. Exactly. And now it's my turn to talk yes. about the best, well, my favorite TV so far. Okay. And like, Honorable mention? Like hit, I'll start with honorable mention, and it's going to be Queer Eye Season 2. Boys, you ready? The original show was fighting for tolerance. Our fight is for acceptance. Let's do this. So, just like, you know, the first season Jeez! of the revamps. <laughs> <laughs> you absolute fuck. I love this show, actually. Okay. No, yeah, it, it's hard not to love. It I mean, is. All the gays gaying, o- gaying over the gay? Like, wow. <laughs> It's is just that the actual synopsis on Netflix or the gays gaying over the gay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's the best gaying I've ever seen in gate <laughs> since the gate gate the gay. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, the sure. thing is, like, the, the, the essence of that joke is, right, like, a lot of people will think that this is the kind of show where it hits you over the head that they're gay. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't, yeah. but they remind you once in a while. <laughs> but the thing is, it's very hard to not be reminded whenever Jonathan Ness does anything yes. right, as soon as he appears like oh yeah this is a group of gay dudes the most fabulous of them all right yeah, he's who a, does the hair <laughs> like, he is the slutty girl of the group yeah like, especially when he wears like mesh tops it's like alright sure I guess we're doing this kind of thing I'm gonna do my best not to pay attention to whenever you mention things like that well <laughs> your wife should be worried it's hard to miss <laughs> it's hard to miss <laughs> Anyway, but just like the first season, it's just whenever you're feeling down or kind of like, you know, yeah. I need a bit of positivity, just I love how warm and accepting they are of absolutely everything. And yeah. of course, it's got the standard stuff of reality TV trappings. Like, you know, producers are poking people in certain areas. Like, now you talk about this thing, you need to cry now. And then you have the piece to camera moments where all of a sudden, like, I was much traumatized as a young gay yeah. man. Like, Which is cool. Why <laughs> I appreciate that there were certain episodes where there was very little crying. Like, when they did mm. the uh, Loser Gamer yeah. episode, where there was no, like, because if he had teared up, that would have been really weird. Like, no, this is not you. So I like that they didn't force it too much, that people were still kind of honest to who they really were. Okay. I don't think actually this is as good as the first season. I think like I mean the first season had its heavy-handed moments, especially that family where like I remember what was the the blonde guy who does the interior decoration? Bobby. Bobby. I remember Bobby had this moment where he talked to one of the Oh, is the word contestant? Well, how do what do you how do you describe these words? Uh, nominees. <laughs> these I nominees. Think it's the word, yeah. yeah. It's like and then like it was like so. What are your thoughts on homosexuality? And then this guy was like, uh, I think I'm I'm not for it, but I'm willing to be. But he didn't say he was for it. He just said like he didn't really think it. I yeah. think it was done like definitely kitty gloves because also, if he actually was against gay people, he wouldn't have agreed to do the show. 
And he wouldn't have such a fabulous dining dining room. <laughs> oh yeah. That was another thing that I saw people complain about is that you tend to realize, huh, Bobby only has one look, doesn't he? Yes. And then you realize slightly anal. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. And as opposed to overtly anal. Are we going elbows deep again, sir? <laughs> you and your f- like you're obsessed <laughs> with anal. <laughs> yes, I'm very thorough. <laughs> Welcome to the Last King Podcast. It wouldn't be the Last King Podcast until I derail somebody with anal. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and you had, to, you had to do it during the gay show. What of course, gay show? Of course you did. It's a honorable mention, sir. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What was I saying again? Gay. <laughs> hey. So, Bobby. Bobby. Very, very anal. Fuck Bobby. Uh, <laughs> fuck Bobby. Right. <laughs> oh, like, just, How? Uh, <laughs> No, okay, okay, I'll I'll jump in. Like, <laughs> thank you. Save me from this <laughs> railing I'm getting. Uh, Queer Eye season two, yeah, I would agree. It isn't as good as season one is. Especially because I feel like the first episode is so clunky, and it's just like you must follow your dreams. You need church is so welcoming. It's about the family. Like, piss off. Right. Yeah. But that first episode kind of encapsulated the message of Queer Eye. I know too much. Yeah, it was just like it felt so incredibly forced, and yeah. then. Especially the part where Bobby's like, I'm ready to walk into a church once more. Like, no, dude, you were yeah. kicked out of your family when you were 15 because they didn't like who you were. You're not going to now welcome her because this one black woman said, oh, come to Jesus. Like, it's going to take more than that. What's her name again? Mama or something, right? Yeah, Tammy. Mama Tammy. Yeah. Oh, baby. <laughs> but I feel like it got better, especially it was interesting when they did the trans guy. Yes. That episode was especially the most eye-opening because it's something which... I've never thought about because it's also fascinating when it's from a perspective of gay men. Sure, yeah. yeah. Watching a person like you know transition as well. And it seems to be a thing where uh, trans men, when they've made a transition, they seem to have a hard time knowing how to dress like an actual man. I love that moment where Ten was scolding like, uh, "You're trying so hard to be a Skylar, man." Skylar, yeah. Why are you dressing like a twelve-year-old skater boy? <laughs> yeah, it's like wear a suit. <laughs> Yeah, because he's in his 30s now and he's still dressing like a teenager. Mm. <laughs> so that was... I think that's how uh, ex-women view all of us, probably. That we're just, you know, forever in our adolescence. Yeah, you maybe. But Organising was... podcasts and talking about things. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <sighs> You're just never going to let me just have a, sense of, like a sincere moment, are you? Have your sincere moment, sir. No. Elbows deep. Uh, <laughs> okay, anyway, so... <laughs> You go on. But that was that was just <laughs> a point. Like it was, they showed like a level of visibility which is not done well, literally anywhere else. Yeah, I agree. Because yeah. if I think about any other trans person or character ever shown on TV, it's always either they're being killed or there's something to be scared of. Sure. Or it's Caitlyn Jenner accepting a award for best woman. Right. I, I, yeah. do, I do have to shout out a new show called Pose, though, which is about the trans community in the 80s. Oh. Uh, the, the track Ball Scene uh, is run by Ryan Murphy, and it features... Uh, Ryan Murphy can do no wrong, huh? He can, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it features the largest cast of transgender actors ever assembled for a television show. Oh, okay. Uh, like Voltron, they all become one giant transgender. One giant transgender, <laughs> and they compete in drag balls, like in Paris and Burning. Mm. Uh, so that, that's pretty much the premise of the show, and it's about found families, how people leave, like, Bumfuck Ohio and come yeah. to New York. Bumfuck Ohio. And <laughs> you chose the wrong <laughs> word for that one. <laughs> Triggered. Uh, yeah, and, and just find like found families in New York and just find their own people. But even in post, they kind of explicitly say that some gay people do have this 
do, do, do discriminate against transgender people. Yeah. I mean, because you're stealing our shtick. That's, that's the common argument I know. But also, I think an issue is that a lot of especially gay men, are, they're very uh, weirdly racist as well. Because yeah. I think they also have a little bit of that victim mentality where it's like, no, we have to suffer. You can't steal our suffering. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, I mean, I'm not speaking for all of them, but the ones who are probably complaining. You're speaking for all the gay men? I can. Okay. All right. Please show me your gay card, sir. Why don't I just spread my cheeks? Okay. <laughs> I can <laughs> gape. in there, is it? I can gape. Ladies and gentlemen, we found Goatsy. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, even though this has been horrifically derailed, that was my oral mention. Horrifically derailed? Okay, like, uh, here's the one complaint I have about Queer Eye. There we go. Which is basically the problem with even the first season. Okay. Where are the tips? Because if you remember the original Queer Eye, it was basically... On Bravo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Queer Eye for the straight guy, where it's basically... Yeah. Like, we're teaching you how to be metrosexual. But basically, it was all about life lessons. You as... You're a grown man now. Learn to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, learn to, like, uh, you know, shave. Learn to dress appropriately. Okay. Fucking dress shoes when you go out, right? Yeah. And it's like, when I watch this show, it's like, basically... Oh, apparently, it's just pomade and, like, tucking in your, your shirt. The French tuck has become big. Mm-hmm. We were rocking the French tuck in the 90s, sir. It's called going to secondary school. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I would say this is like, there's so much about them having agendas and having messages. Sure. It totally, it's supposed to be a makeup, uh, a makeover show. I'm not sure it's actually supposed to be a makeover I mean, show. Like, it's, it's, inherently, the, it's a show about empathy yeah. and that, understanding, yeah. If anything, is like, the makeover w- thing is just a disguise. I yeah. want more recipes for guacamole. I okay. want more tips about how to I, do I feel things. like they've definitely slowed down on the tips and even yeah. though they have you know the fab tip thing at the end it tends to be kind of just their attempts are trying to be funny there's like it's like some something we can just google ourselves it's like you know so what what, what are the hidden secrets of how you have such amazing hair yeah it can't just be pomade right, right. all the time right well i do think they've switched the format of the show it's no longer just a makeover show it's a mm. show about trying to bridge cultures and trying to bridge uh, people from different walks of life with uh, just humor, empathy, and warmth. Yeah, and mm. just uh, because a lot of these people that they have to go give makeovers to, they tend to be people that no one wants to talk to. Yeah, especially so in season one with the when guy they with get, the MAGA hat, right? Oh, yeah. But no, the worst, like, especially the first guy, uh, Tom, uh, the guy with the red egg margarita. Okay. Like, he was a man who needed some personal self-love because he had resigned himself to being yeah. ugly and lonely like, the rest me, of his that life. The very first episode felt like, okay, remember the, the, the previous show? Yeah. We're going to do that one time and then we're going to be our own thing. Right, mm. okay. You know, it felt to me like, okay, here's the reference to what we used to do. Mm. But in essence, like, we're all about, you know, acceptance. We're all about, like, you know, we need to just uh, visit people going through different walks of life. And sure, then, yeah. But it felt kind of, uh, like I said, like, there's a lot of moments where it's like, okay, time to... Uh, BD over the head or something target the heartstrings people yeah. are going to start crying because yeah, of these moments it's not as bad as a lot of other shows yeah. but there are definitely moments where they kind of amp up certain elements and I feel like also sometimes they don't push far enough when it comes to needing to change someone's lifestyle mm-hmm. like again uh, the gamer dude I, I feel like they should have been a bit more like direct him saying like you need to sort your fucking life out because mm. you're trying to blame everyone else but you, you are the one. And that becomes the message for every single show because it's literally yeah. like, why don't you just sort your shit out, you know? I mean, Well, that's that's what Karamo does. That's his only role. Yeah, he, he'll drive around getting ice cream and like, let's have re- some real talk right now. Yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> comedians in cars getting coffee but instead of coffee, it's life advice. And gay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're really obsessed with this gay shit, huh? I love gays. Of course you do. Yeah. They're amazing people. Mm-hmm. They do magical things. They do makeovers. They fix your hair. 
they refurnish, <laughs> apparently, and they give yeah. you like amazing life lessons. You Absolutely. don't like gays? No, I like them too. Mm, but you don't love gays. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, your main choice for My best main TV. choice uh, is, well, we've already talked about it. It's Agretsuko. I mean, if I wanted to right, really tell you how I feel, just go listen to uh, that episode again, which was two or three episodes ago. Yes. Uh, but yeah, this show is just, oh my God, I love it so much. I agree, yeah. It is just so damn cute and funny. But at the same time, also, you wouldn't expect this kind of subversive feminist gem coming out of a Sanrio. San yeah. yeah. But then, Kilo Kitty is a feminist icon. Sure. But she never married Dear Daniel. I guess so, but people don't never acknowledge her him as boyfriend. I, I would agree with that. There you sure. go. True, but at the same time, it felt kind of like playing it safe because they highlight the fact that oh, she's a little girl who likes to go shopping and having tea parties. But she was invented, God knows when. So she's of that product era. of her time. Whereas yeah. um, what I really like about Agretsuko is that Agretsuko, she's not you know a tomboy like you know she wears makeup, she wears dresses, she likes some girly stuff. She's also deep into a heavy metal, mm-hmm. like death, death metal. metal, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and she's got you know pretty good uh, throw on her. Yeah, like she sounds better than most uh, death metal I've heard to recently. Well, she's the most death metal panda I know. Mm-hmm. The only one, yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I mean, but <clears throat> besides the death metal aspect of it, I mean, the depiction of Japanese office culture, yeah. specifically, has been eye-opening uh, in a sense that this is how millennials would approach old school Japanese office culture because millennials are sometimes entitled they are sometimes sometimes <laughs> they hey just, now hey now hey now I mean they they yeah you can say they're entitled but they just know better yeah. they want more and they know their rights and they know they're less willing they're, to put up with bullshit because it's when yeah. people say oh you need to do this and this why because we said so but it's stupid can't we do something a bit different then you don't get paid sir that's, yeah, that's yeah. the, <laughs> that the, the scales of their yeah. life. And that's generally the crux of the show, actually, mm-hmm. to be honest, is whether Red Panda Retsuko wants to follow her dreams or whether she wants to get paid. Yeah. Or like the episode where uh, she gave 30,000 yen to that couple and then immediately they divorce. Yeah. Like, Slap in the face. That was an amazing episode because I, I'm sure we all come from cultures where you're expected to give something to um, people getting married. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I know in the UK, at least, it's something which is like... But at least give, I don't know, coffee maker or some shit. This is Asia, sir. Have you been to a Chinese wedding? Oh my god, we you give so much. You have to pay for that table you're sitting at. Oh, sir. fuck that. They have no, like a really? cover charge. Yeah. You yeah. have a cover charge for yeah. your friend's wedding. Jesus Christ. And I feel bad charging people for alcohol. Yeah, at least they also charge for alcohol sometimes. Yeah. At least at Malay weddings, you can give 10 bucks and walk off, you know? Yeah, yeah but yeah. you have to take a picture. But you have to take a picture. <laughs> That's, That's the important thing for the gram. Yeah, for yeah. the gram. Yeah. Now for the gram. Oh, now for the gram, yep. <laughs> Back yeah. then it was for the MySpace. Shit. <laughs> 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 Yeah, but it's not just that. It's also all of the Swan characters are wonderful and well-rounded. Like they're mm-hmm. not one aspect. Even um, what's the name of uh, the bimbo uh, rain, reindeer? Bimbo reindeer. I forgot, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. it's like because you think she's painted as just this really cute, like like suck up, just going. She's so adorable. And then when she has dinner with Ritsuko, she's like, yeah, I know. I'm doing it for me. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care what people think of me. I'm just trying to get paid. Like, I think the best thing about Ritsuko is like the main character is the one who's keeping it real the most. And yeah. that's mm. how you empathize with her because most of the time you're just seeing like how she has to navigate this 
whirlwind of like office politics and all these asshole employees and employers. Yeah. And then you realize that you know, like as much as everybody is pretty much a one note trope, everybody's like a stereotype. And then like the best thing about this show is like, no, even the worst character. You see something is like revealed about them, like like director Ton actually has yeah. a sensitive moment. There's a reason why he's the boss. Yeah, he's also <laughs> really good at his job. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as everybody's annoyed by the fact that he's like playing golf all the time. Yeah, but yeah. Like, no. When like, it comes to crunch time, he puts out as okay. He's the guy. Let's yeah. get this done now. And I think like we had the discussion with uh, when we were reviewing this for our show with uh, Tom, right? It's like yeah, um, like we had this discussion about the difference in European and Asian office culture gotcha. whereas over here in like Asia is like we have this uh, iron rice bowl mentality mm. where we gotta we gotta stick out the overtime we gotta do whatever the boss asks for because you know that's the, our life the yeah. company man mentality yeah, yeah. You know? and especially in Japan where it's even more hardcore where people are literally queuing up for the trains even before the train station opens yeah you know it's, mm. a, it's that's how they that's how they look at their life that they are not it's not that they're dedicated they're dedicated to maybe the family that they're trying to provide for yeah. or they're dedicated to whatever it is that they're financing but also at the same time it's like you know I mean what I was really interested more is in like your point of view is like when you look at this like do you think of it as like that's very particularly Asian I definitely see it as something that's incredibly Asian because whilst I've not done a lot of work in uh, Europe it's definitely more of a sense of like yes you're meant to work hard especially in certain uh job areas you are expected to you know work late come in early especially if you're in the banking sector but there's also a much stronger element of but once you get out you're out you don't you know check check out your desk even at the weekend unless you're in journalism or something and then like when a character like Agoretsuko is like basically when you get out it's nothing but decompressing it's nothing yeah. about drinking beer screaming death metal yeah. getting all actually that's a lot like um, British working culture I thought you just drink until you fall down yeah we even do that sometimes at the office <laughs> <laughs> I've watched The Office. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. agree. So I would say, yes, yeah, probably one of the best slice of life office culture shows. About, I mean, particularly Asian office culture. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a unique take on office culture because you don't get to see Japanese office culture depicted in a way that's accessible to Westerners. Mm. It's strangely very realistic. Yeah. yeah. There isn't that cute office romance that you would see in other like mm. uh, Asian shows, which but is centered around an office. You see the start of it, but I think it's done in a very realistic manner. Yeah. yeah. And also, all Especially the Especially since Haida is such a, you know, a coward. <laughs> I mean, what I really love about a great school is all the random subversion that you didn't expect, especially from a show that's very Japanese. Yeah. Right, yeah. You know, because like, it doesn't overemphasize the fact that, you know, everybody's kind of suffering inside in their own small way. Mm-hmm. And this is how we deal with things. But the way they wrap everything around with a cute animal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the animals are frequently metaphors for whatever they are. I mean, the most obvious being the chauvinist pig. Yeah. But even the chauvinist pig character is plumped for unseen depths. Yeah. Uh, which is what I really, really like about the show. Every single minor character, you learn something about them like, and sh- you reveal something about yourself. Even uh, the yo- the yoga teacher who you oh, think yeah. is just, you know, a roided out kangaroo going, protein, protein. Yeah. <laughs> He's also actually pretty good at learning life lessons and like giving bits of wisdom exactly yeah it's like huh this show really doesn't let anyone just be that character apart from maybe uh, the pink hippo alright but I yeah. love the way they get rid of her yep yeah, I was, I was hoping she gets some random like arc that I didn't no, she did. yeah she's, she was uh, jailed for being a spy <laughs> <laughs> yes like, you're the one who can't keep a secret okay <laughs> Like, yeah, even in a cute show like Agoda School, we still need some espionage. Yeah. Because, you know, anime, like, 
It won't be anime if you no, don't have like I don't some think so. way. I like, will not agree that because anime, this is very not anime at yes, all. Yes, indeed. If anything, yeah. it doesn't follow tropes. It has yeah. tropes, but then all the tropes basically break mold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the most Western style of anime that I've seen in terms of character development. I would say so too. Yeah. And the thing is, it's the most modern, the yeah. most modernist yeah. out of all of it because like, especially when you think of uh, within the Sanrio canon, yeah. you have your Hello Kitties, your Bad Bats Maros, you have your Kuropi, and then now you have a Kudetama and whoever it is, right, that's mm. just designed to sell t-shirts. I don't yeah. see Aguretsuko selling t-shirts. But I do see her being part of a smaller cultish niche. Yeah. You know, they will watch her. Like, there's a, there's a, there's a certain uh, gang of girls in Shibuya who probably will latch onto this and this will be their thing. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Because you have the, the Hello Kitty girls and then you have the, the Aguretsuko girls. I yeah. feel like this could definitely have the, the start of having something kind of counter-revolutionary, especially for... I think young professional women who tend to, I feel like, get it the worst. No, because the thing is, like, my girlfriend loves this show. Oh, I, I <laughs> She watches totally it and she's like, I know exactly how that feels. Yeah. Because it's relatable. Yeah, mm. and yeah. it's like, especially, like, the, what she uh, like likes the most is the fact that it's all about keeping up appearances. Yeah. You yeah. know, and like, whereas, like, for, like, and the thing is, like, as a, as, as a guy, like, I don't keep up appearances and like, I don't realize that there is that this other layer of, like, you know, presentation and uh, gender yes. disparity in the workplace. Yeah. yeah every know? single woman has some kind of thing to show. Like, I feel like what definitely helped was the two, like, you know, power women in the company, Gori and um, Washimi, I think she's called, mm-hmm. the secretary. So, that once they're out of the office, once they're, not, you know, like, strutting the power walk, like, you're know, dressing to kill, like, also, yeah, they're kind of, you know, worried and consumed by despair and There's depression. There's an insecurity sometimes. inside yeah. all of them, yeah. yeah. And I loved it a lot. So yeah. I, I didn't expect to be having that from a show about a death metal band. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, I, I came across it randomly on Netflix uh, after watching the first episode. It's instantly hooked. Yeah. It's uh, amazingly bingeable, actually. Yeah. I, the only person who I know who can't watch it is my wife because she hates death metal. Oh, yeah. Death Metal isn't even really that big of a part of the show. I know, but no, we watched the first not. episode and uh, she said she came, got physically ill from listening to the music. Oh, you know gosh. what? As an actual proponent of Death Metal right here, yeah. Yeah. it's not dead Death Metal. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's, not no, death, it's, death metal. it's fairly toned down because like, I'll admit, I'm not a huge fan of Death Metal. Like, I'm more for like the melodic stuff. But okay. I yeah. could tolerate it here. Interesting. So, that's your pick yeah that's my pick yeah both on Netflix yeah short and sweet just uh, the way I like Mm -hmm. it and speaking of short and sweet uh, Pat Morita wow (laughs) okay no the thing is uh, my pick for uh, best TV show of 2018 okay you know what I'm supposed to do honorable mention do honorable mention first yeah so my honorable mention and the only reason I have this as honorable mention is because the complete season is not even finished yet Mm -hmm. Mm. it's one of those weird situations where they release half a season now and half a season later they just want to drag out uh, the last season of Kimmy Schmidt there yep. we go. Yeah. Yes, and we of course we're talking about the uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. You're singing that wrong. How? I made it up. God damn, I love this show. God it, damn, I love Titus Andromeda. He's like my wonderful. favorite TV character of all time. Yeah. Because it's like every time he pops up on 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 like in shot, no, the, whenever he says or sings anything. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like. Speaking of, I mean, like, how we mentioned in uh, Babylon Berlin, like, that injection of, like... Sugar, yeah. Sugar, oh, yeah. He, yeah. He, he's very he's very diabetic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I will say this. And the thing is, like, the problem is, this show is only, like, 
six episodes, right? Uh, six and seven next year. And seven next year. Next okay. year. Uh, January yeah. next. Year. So Jesus. we have to hold out till then. Well, it's only five five months till January. True. Yeah. It's five months too long, sir. Yeah, it. I I do agree with you that in the sense that it is frustrating, but it's also a relief because I'm not ready to say goodbye to Kimmy yet. Because is it the final season? It's the final season. Ah, this is the final why. season. Yeah. Okay. And the thing is, I also like the fact that it's like not about her getting a guy anymore. It's just about her in the workforce. Yeah. And like her having her sexual harassment arc. Sure. Seeing as how that she was kidnapped and definitely sexually harassed oh, in the bunker. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I especially love that throwaway line, right? Of course, there's a lot of weird sex <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. The best show has always been somewhat about Kimmy dealing with PTSD in when she was uh, a cult victim. Yeah. But I think this particular season really... You mean PBSD? Oh, uh, but this particular season really leans into the whole terrible men and toxic masculinity aspect of uh, of the show. And then also at the same time, the, the the most interesting character is a gay man. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Well, I think it's just because Titus is just such a wonderful character and he doesn't have necessarily this big struggle to worry about. All of his he issues. Does. I mean, I like the fact that his biggest struggle is about him just dealing with relationships and abandonment issues. Mm. Because yeah. it's like, like uh, what's the name of the construction worker that he's kind of in love with and he's trying to win over since oh, season two? Boy. But you know uh, who I'm talking yeah, about, right? talking Isn't about, it yeah. season one? I, we first saw what, him season oh, one. Oh, was he season one? Oh, yeah. my bad. Yes, yeah, season one. I'm I, so sorry. Yeah, because like, he's so upset that he's old and uh, he's not, you know, yeah. the sexy, tiny little twink thing anymore. I know, like, there's an the amazing se- uh, section where they get, uh, what's that guy? Was it Bill Pullman? Pullman? Paxton? Bill, Pullman? No, it was Paxton's passed away. It's Bill Pullman. Pullman, yeah. So Bill Pullman, like, hey, Bill Pullman, I need you to act out in front of my guy because I convinced him that I'm an actor in a big <laughs> show. And he's like, sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Bill Pullman, you're an amazing guy. And you're still my favorite president of the United States of America. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> he shall not go quietly into the night. <laughs> oh, but if anything, uh, Kimmy Schmidt is like one of those few shows that's consistently funny. And not just that, it's smart funny. It doesn't go for the cheap jokes. It doesn't go for the lowest common denominator. Sure. And the jokes hit you machine gun pace rapid fire. It's yeah. difficult to catch everything. Yeah, and it's like, that's what probably warrants you to the repeat viewing because it's like, what did I catch and why did I laugh anyway? You know how you're talking about Babylon Berlin when you frequently rewind? Yeah. Uh, I do that with Kimmy Schmidt all the time. Really? Just because I want to catch everything. There are jokes within jokes and they're told in such quick fashion that I miss three jokes because I laugh for like an extra five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then things just keep moving along. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and if anything, is like, I also like the fact that this is the show where you see them mature. Yeah. And like, you see, and it's, it's strange because Ellie Kemper is like, I know through season two she gave birth or something, right? She, I believe so, yeah. She became like a, like a wife and a mother. And the thing is, like, you see her in season one and you can see that doe-eyed kind of like lost innocence, especially mm-hmm. in the way she just interacts with everyone around her. Yeah. And she's just constantly smiling. Yeah. And then I love how in season three is like, Yep, reality is finally chipping away at the veneer of all of this. And she's like getting a little bit upset with how like everything is not going to work out the way she does. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, it's just like, um, it's nice to see it's like a reverse growth process. Where it's like, here we have something who's extremely childlike and very gullible, unfortunately. And then you just see her get tampered by the world. Yeah. And then it's like, but she's just constantly reinforcing that positivity. I mean, like, she, w- she wears a cat on her t-shirt every episode. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. And, like, how can you not hate her? And then the thing is, like, she is that, uh, that beacon of, like, uh, I would say joy and hope that, you know, I need in my TV shows nowadays. Because everybody wants to be Game of Thrones. Everybody wants to be, like, some sort of Breaking Bad. We're some so, serious political thriller. We're so serious. We're so bleak. We're such a procedural. And then you have something like this that's just downright goofy mm. and proud of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And if anything is, like, uh, I would say, like, 
the best TV if not for the fact that it's half a season. That's a shame. You know what I mean? Like, if it was a full season right now, definitely this would be my top choice. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is down to uh, Tina Fey's and uh, Robert Carlock's uh, writing, which is just so phenomenal. You and think more Tina Fey or you think more Robert Carlock? I think, I think it's both of them because it, both of them will be behind 30 Rock as well. And uh, yeah. this this is the most reminiscent show of 30 Rock that I've ever seen. Do you miss 30 Rock though? It, it fell off towards the later seasons. But yeah, I, sure, I do miss Prime 30 Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Like season 1, 30 Rock. Yeah, that was, was just, just perfect. Yeah. Firing but, uh, all yeah, the cannons. Yeah. To me, Kimmy Schmidt is the one that kind of continues that tradition. Yeah, I mean, that's what... I have to admit, I haven't been keeping up with Kimmy Schmidt because there's just too much stuff to be watching mm-hmm. at once. But that is the curse of this year. Yeah, I'm going to get back into it. I'm still on season 1. But... Um, oh, I hope I didn't spoil anything. No, no, it's, it's fine. Like, it's all trajectories that I knew were going to happen. Like, you know... That's the curse of modern TV. Like, you know what's going to happen most of the time. There's a stat that came out that says uh, there are 528 new scripted programming that's supposed to come out in 2018. That's... How do we catch up? 528 new shows. I'm not, that's not even talking... That's 500 too many. I'm not even talking about old shows that are returning. Yeah. New shows go. on like things like YouTube Premium and Hulu and Amazon and Netflix. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah YouTube's trying really hard to be a uh, uh, cable, isn't it? Yeah. So speaking of YouTube Red, oh, <laughs> so we're gonna be pick, talking about your. It's a pick great transition, twenty eighteen. Thank you, thank yeah. you for the segue. Thank yeah. you for the setup. Yeah. So my show of two thousand eighteen. Well, of course, I'm the old man of the group. Will have to be Cobra Kai. Nostalgia. <laughs> Cobra Kai reunites us with uh, Daniel San and Johnny. <laughs> and if anything, is like, I mean, we also uh, reviewed this previously on an episode of The Last King Podcast. Yeah. Mm. And um, I mean, if it wasn't for Kimmy Schmidt being only half a season, I would have picked this. In fact, it's kind of weird to me to think that 2018, we still don't have a Game of Thrones. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're busy. I mean, they're, they're taking the, the year off to do only seven episodes for next year. Mm-hmm. Sure. We don't have a Rick and Morty this year. We don't have a Bojack yet. Yeah. Glow just dropped. Yeah. So, and the thing is, I... I if I had the choice to choose Glow, I would have chosen that over Kimmy Schmidt and uh, Cobra Kai. Yeah, yeah but, but save that for your year-end podcast. And yeah, we'll save that for the year-end podcast, there which we, we have to do this all over again. Yeah. <laughs> but if anything, Cobra Kai to me felt like it's probably one of the best ten years too late sequels, which spun off into a TV show. Yeah. I've seen since probably I don't know maybe Twin Peaks, but Twin Peaks started as a TV show, right? Yeah. yeah. It, you would you say that it's ten years too late, but I don't think it could have done it could have. Done. They could have done this in any other time period except now. Yeah, and the thing is, you had to age up the characters and right. the motivations. Yeah, and also the society surrounding them has changed to this particular moment in time. And the thing is, right, I, uh, I give credit to the show because it doesn't do the fish out of water thing too much sure, at all. Yeah. Because it's basically, I mean, for those of you who are aware of the Karate Kid franchise, <laughs> it who isn't? A few of us. Uh, it topped out at two. <laughs> yes. And yes. Which Karate Kid movie I've seen? The one with that hadn't didn't have any karate. The uh, one with Jaden Smith. The Kung Fu Kid. That's the yeah. Kung Fu Kid. So That's the only one I've seen. So they go to China to learn Kung Fu and it's called the Karate Kid. Yeah. That's the one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jackie Chan teaches Kung Fu mm-hmm. and it's called the Karate Kid. I've yeah. not seen that one I'm into today. So you haven't it's seen it? Yeah. Don't. Okay. Fine. You know what? Even the Hillary Swank Karate Kid is better than that one. Ooh. And she's the next one. But too bad she broke her neck in the sequel. Oh wait, Million Dollar Baby is not part of the canon, right? No. Nope. <laughs> it would have been so cool, right? First oh my was, god. She was trained by Pat Morita, then she was trained by Clint Eastwood. <laughs> 
<laughs> she was about to do like the the crane kick and then she just tripped and broke her neck on a. I stool. do hope though that sometime in the future in subsequent seasons they are able to get Hillary Swank on the show. Really? You have to do the callbacks? I want to I want Hillary Swank to meet Danielson because they've never actually met in canon. Technically, yeah, yeah, that's true. But the thing is, what would be the arc? Because okay, spoilers for Karate Kid. Sure. They do bring back another important guy. Uh, in the finale? In the finale. Right, okay. And the thing is, right, okay, of course, they, they have to bring back Reese. Yes. You know, mm. like the, ori- the original asshole from Cobra Kai. Yeah. They should bring back uh, Terry, the guy from part three. Remember him? If you want, if you want to do Hillary Swank and that, go all, go all out. No, I mean, not Hillary Swank. Remember in part three, uh, part, part three where Reese had another asshole? Oh my god, the yes. The ponytail asshole? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That slimy that. business guy who was like, he was trying to like, he was teaching Daniel son. He was, Trying to turn Daniel Sun to the dark side yeah. by oh. teaching him the wrong karate. He was the Sith karate lord. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and, then, and then like it was some, one of the goofiest reveals of all time. Where at the end of Karate Kid Three, where Daniel is about to uh, face off against Reese at the school, and then he discovers that his friend, who's been teaching him all the wrong karate, was a bad guy all along. Oh no! And then like of course Pat Morita playing uh, Yoda in this um, version comes in and like pulls him back to the good side yeah yeah. use the correct karate karate is about to protect and not about to kill <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I mean that's the thing I kind of miss about this karate kit where it's like it kind of looks at the 80s uh, the 80s-ness or the, the tropishness of sure. like, mm-hmm. yeah. and it looks at it and it's like things like oh remember how goofy that was but it was but it was but yeah. then I also love especially about this karate kit about how it reacts to like entitled millennial culture correct yeah because mm-hmm. there's like moments where the kids go to train with Johnny yeah and they're, they're getting asses kicked and they're crying like oh, why is this so hard and like because life is hard be a mm-hmm. badass mm-hmm. fight I love that what Johnny specifically teaches in Cobra Kai is actually fundamentally right like he's trying to give them more self-confidence he's trying to yeah. make Bingo. them a man but the way he goes about it is wrong Yeah, as, as much as he's misguided in yeah. a sense because the thing is you can't blame him that's yeah. how he was taught exactly yeah. and then it yeah. was also like it comes full circle when they bring back Reese just to like cement the point that like yeah remember why he's like that because of this guy what I never expected Cobra Kai to be was to be a show about the cycle of bullying yeah yeah hmm. and it Bingo. is a show it is a show about the cycle of bullying because by the end of it you see the entitled millennial kids themselves being 80s bullies yes yeah that's 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 the genius like you know plot twist in the end because like Johnny slowly realizing that oh no I'm raising the next generation of assholes yep and like he finally also kind of realized like but I mean it's also kind of cool like they use it's a matter of perspective because how he treats Daniel like no Daniel's the asshole he's the one who like was like being shitty to me and then we see it from his perspective, which I get was a kind of I don't know, was it a cracked article or some YouTube video where they they basically say like Daniel was the asshole all along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. It sounds like a cracked article to me. You some know, what crack, I mean? there was a YouTube video essay about this as well. And it's also a long running joke on How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. On How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Now available on Netflix every single episode. There you go. Yeah. Hey. Anyway, but if anything, uh, I didn't know. I mean, who's the actor playing Johnny? Uh, his name. Johnny. Uh, something. S- William Sepp. Ah oh, man, I forgot. He, he he's actually surprisingly good in this one. He is amazing. Because yeah. the thing is, we haven't seen him since. Since maybe like the end of Karate Kid too. He I hasn't really had an acting career to speak of. And the thing is, they brought him back for this, and it's amazing to see. Like especially when it comes to him dealing with, uh, because he is also like, he's not really the product of a broken home, but he is the product of very strict militaristic parenting from his father. Yeah, yeah, a and different then, kind of abuse. A sure. different kind of abuse, which then he also relays onto his son. Yeah, and then like to see his dynamic with his son, like this guy can act. 
He can. And he's like, he is the linchpin of the whole show because he he's the one you empathize with the most. He is so much better than Daniel San is. I mean, as an actor. And Daniel San's yeah. the perfect asshole now. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love the fact that he turned into a smug little Italian asshole, you know? And it's like, like he runs his car company. Sure. And he has no control over his family and you just see the, the roles reversed. And if anything, it's like, that's what we need to do more because it's like, if you want to bring back shows, right? You, you, you As much as I always rail against like shows that do not... Um, how you say enhance upon the original mm. uh, first you have to pay respect to w- what your source material is but yeah. then you need to also push it into a direction that is interesting you gotta adapt it needs to be something which isn't yeah. just we're gonna continue the story because you know we're too lazy to think about something intriguing. exactly you know because it's like it's not about references it's not about hey remember that thing you liked back then here it is again sure. shoved in your face yeah and it's like here's like hey how about in, in this uh, Karate Kid it's about Cobra Kai. Badass name, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that joke. You know? Yeah. That's a badass name for a studio. Thank you. Oh, no, for a dojo. Yeah. And then it's like, Danielson, like, oh, remember this guy you used to empathize with? Uh, you used to, like, sympathize with? He's the jerk. I think it also just shows that uh, it's just a general message that just because you learn to defend yourself doesn't mean you become a better person. Mm-hmm. That there you go. Also, maybe the bullies kind of saw a reason why they were picking you rather than just they were dickheads. And also, I like the fact when uh, Johnny confronts Daniel, yeah, you beat me. Yeah, with an illegal move. Yeah. <laughs> it was an illegal move. <laughs> but, yeah. And like, you know, but he sweeped the leg. Is the sweeping the leg a legal move? No, yeah, but the difference was Johnny was penalized for sweeping the leg. And Daniel won and Daniel the tournament. And Daniel wasn't. Mm, and he won the tournament. Yep, yeah. I love that. I love the fact that it's it's aware of itself. It is. You know? Yeah. And in, in a way that isn't too much like, hey, look at this. Hey, remember that thing? Yeah. It's but it, it's had 20 to 30 years of pop culture deconstruction to draw upon. Yeah. Which I would say, like, you know, who wrote this? Did uh, they write it or did the internet write this for them? They drew upon certain aspects of the internet for sure. But the character arcs, I think, pretty uniquely original. Hmm. For, for, for Johnny's character arc and the whole cycle of bullying angle, I think the internet never actually drew upon that at all. Well, maybe they did, but I mean, it's not necessarily wrong to get some inspiration from the general talking about this like, franchise as a whole, especially sure. since we've had time to think about it and deconstruct it and, you know, get past the 80s age or even like the nostalgia lenses, which people tend to use yeah. for a lot of products that came from the 80s. But I think the, the nostalgia lens here is also used in a very self-deprecating way because mm-hmm. there's moments where basically the, like like uh, Johnny w- with his first student yeah. is like, what is that? What, what is that you're listening to? And he's like, oh, this is whatever. Listen to some Guns N' Roses. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what is that? You don't know Guns N' Roses? And like, I'm literally like, repeat, like repeating the line, yeah, you don't know Guns N' Roses? Come on. Mm-hmm. And then I remember like the kid was like, later, oh, what are you listening to now? Oh, I'm listening to like Motley Crue and this. I went on this whole, I went, looked up Guns N' Roses and I'm on this whole uh, rabbit hole of 80s uh, heavy metal. Yeah. Like, yep. You know, well, that's how it works these days. Yeah, we have to kind of remind you, oh, remember how things were better then? No, we're not lying. It was good. We're not saying that it's better than what you like. It's just like, this is what we like. Sure. Mm. But it's be- it's better to you because it uh, came to you at a, a more formative age. Uh, karate Kid? Yeah, Karate Kid. Or, or, or Guns N' Roses, for example. No, Guns N' Roses came to me quite early. Oh, I, I forgot that you're older than me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. the thing is about Guns N' Roses is, like, especially in Singapore in that time, Yeah. you couldn't escape it. No, for sure, yeah. Like, especially in the early 90s when November Rain was on the radio all the time. MTV Asia? And MTV 24 Asia 7. Played that song. That was the all only the time. video on. I got so sick on the Guns N' Roses yeah. very quickly. Hey, it's better than most of the shit they were doing 24 7 in the early 2000s, which is when I had MTV. Which is all like teen pregnancies and game shows, right? Like, yeah. Oh, it, that ter- they turned into a reality TV channel back yeah. then, right? I started watching yeah. MTV just after they stopped being a music uh, channel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm that young. <laughs> 
but if anything, I would say, uh, especially with, I mean, like what I'm saying is self-deprecating, also in the sense, yeah, where it's not like the characters never said like the '80s were better. They said it was shit. No, like, it was kind of like everybody's like looking at it. Is it all rose-tinted glasses? It was better because I did it my way, but also at the same time, it was like, nah, I did not enjoy the '80s. In fact, even with Johnny's arc, it's like he did. He probably didn't enjoy the '90s, the 2000s as well. Yeah, like, he's had, he's led a very sad life. Yeah, there you go. Uh. And then like he like. And it's strange because it's like it's something I would I would not say it's as good as Breaking Bad, but it's <laughs> similar to where it's like you're rooting for the one of the for this prick. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like the difference is like Walter White started off very with good intentions and, and slowly became worse and worse. And then the thing is, like, you latch on to the good intentions and you don't r- realize that he's turning into yeah. a monster. Mm-hmm. You notice especially when when a lot of people are saying, "Oh, fuck Scarlett, she's a bitch, she's terrible," and you realize. No, she's the good person. She she's has the a, one who <laughs> she has every right to be angry with him. The He's reaction a drug dealer. The reaction to Skylar was amazing to me at, at that yeah. point in time. I did not understand the the fur or the backlash. Yeah, well, it's because you know. She, yeah, people saw her as an obstacle, not as a person. It's also you know not hard for men online to hate women. That's true. Yeah, they recently had the Breaking Bad ten year reunion where yeah. um, Skylar was talking about. How it affected her personally, the the backlash against the character. Really? Yeah, she was she was emotionally distraught over that. Mm. Yeah, playing a difficult female character can be hard. Like uh, Lena Headey, who is usually quite socially awkward and shy, she had the hardest time of the first couple of seasons of Game of Thrones. Yeah, people would sh- call her cunt in the street. You know what? As a man of the eighties, they did that to Joan Collins too. Yeah. Yeah, they but they did it to a lot of soap operas. But now you can't escape it when you go home. Yeah. Right. Now, like idiots. Yeah. Who 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 gave these idiots internet? Right. Yeah. Mm. Free speech is a double-edged sword. Exactly. Yeah. True that. But yeah. you know, if anything, so Karate Kid uh, slash actually it's called Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for season two. The only problem I have with this is its accessibility. Yeah. It's very hard to find. Yeah. Like, because YouTube Red is not a thing here in Singapore. Not yet. They plan to make it one, but I I don't know when. But when? Cause it was released in the States in 2015. They've had three years to sort out... It can't be a rights issue, surely. It, yeah. It's probably still a rights or licensing issue because the thing is, uh, especially in, with the, the local media broadcasting association, right? Oh, yeah, they've got they cast iron grip, yeah. Not just that, because like they need to get paid somehow. I mean, yeah. we're one of the few countries where like certain Spotify artists don't appear for us. Well, certain Netflix shows as we were talking certain about certain Netflix yeah. shows don't yeah. appear for us even though they're meant to be international I'm still upset that we don't get stuff like Hulu yeah that that's coming once uh, once Disney buy it they'll find a way yeah I hope so I hope so do you think so I mean like uh, uh, I think recently DC announced that they do a streaming service right? uh, that sounds like an incredible package by the way because they're bundling uh, their back catalogue of superhero comics and plus the comics, right? Plus, you know, yeah, yeah, comics, back catalog, plus all their old shows and movies. So if you want to watch Christopher Reeve Superman, if you want to watch Linda Carter Wonder Woman, if you want to watch Batman animated series, you can. That already, Batman animated series and the spin-offs is already yeah. the worth the price of. A, and we entry. haven't even talked about the original content that they are planning to stream as well. Like the CW stuff. Uh, not the CW stuff. I'm the I'm animated stuff. Cause they have a Young Justice Outsider coming out. The new season will be exclusively on the streaming service. They're doing a live. What? Yeah, they li- Young Justice season three is gonna be. Yeah, ah. exclusive to that. Uh, they're doing a live action Teen Titans uh, TV show as oh, well. Oh yeah, I, s- I saw pictures of uh, that. James Wan of The Conjuring will be doing a live action Swamp Thing too. So there's a, there's a bunch of titles coming if out. If they do the Swamp Thing with the Alan Moore script, maybe. Yeah, uh, I we haven't really seen a trailer or any descriptions. But James Wan is like sick of the Conjuring, sick of Fast and Furious already. 
I think currently he's doing Aquaman. I so think he's it, deep in, in yeah, he's deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just that uh, you know he has to do some stuff while he's waiting for uh, some Conjuring green Four, Annabelle Five. Yeah, <laughs> like he's just waiting for uh, what's his face, um, uh, Toretto. Yeah, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel for Vin mm. Diesel to start talking to the Rock again. No, never happened. Yeah. The Rock is in two blockbusters this year, by the way. He's in Rampage and in Skyscraper in a week. Sky yeah, Skyscraper is coming out soon, and I'm gonna love it because it looks so goddamn stupid. It needs more monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> mm. The CGI looked really bad in the trailers that I've seen. So, so I, I, I I don't know whether they're gonna fix that because it's it's gonna affect my enjoyment of the movie. No, leave the bad CGI in. Oh really? Bad CGI with the Rock, perfect. Yeah. Sure. Like, he's a bad CGI character. That is true. Like, that he's heavy in the Uncanny Valley. He is glistening like a character from the Unreal Engine compared I, to everybody else exactly. around him. Oh, Why is he so oily all the time? Like, he's like those 4K textures you get on uh, Fallout 4 mods. Why are you so shiny? Yeah. <laughs> like, he just ran through baby oil. I remember when we used to be a video game podcast. Exactly. So, we should be wrapping up this episode yeah, right so, now. Uh, yeah, so this has been our favourite uh, TV shows of 2018 so far. With our special guest here, Hits. Hits, uh, more plugs and shoutouts, sir. Yeah, uh, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's Twitter backslash Hitzer. You can also find our podcast on Mixcloud backslash Genre Equality or Mixcloud backslash Hard Hits. Yes, and you'll be listening to the Last King Podcast. I've been Shafiq. I've been Eccentric Tom. I'm Hitzer. 